Welcome. It is your money. I'm Susie Jones with you for the next hour, along with our good friends, Bruce Helmer and Peg Webb, reminding you as we get started here, if you have a financial question for Bruce, you can call this number seven days a week, one eight 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 six advice You can also email your questions at yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But for the next hour, we have time for you to get on our text line and talk line, 651-461-9226. Good morning, Bruce. Thank you, Susie Jones. How are you? And uh, thank you for the nice introduction. You're well? <laughs> I am very well. Do we have Nicole or Peg with us this morning? Yeah, I'll, I'll introduce Nicole. Thank you for that. So yeah. um, uh, Peg is taking a well-deserved uh, week off, and in her stead, we're very fortunate to have actually Peg's daughter, Nicole. Nicole uh, leads our national wealth management teams, focusing on high net worth families with complex needs. She's been in our industry for over 15 years, and I knew her when she was in elementary school. Um, <laughs> most of those 15 years are a lot of them with wealth enhancement. She's actually been a frequent contributor to the financial media. She's been on CNBC, Fox Business, Bloomberg Radio, MTV, and she's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Nicole, we are very, very fortunate to have you with us today. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, thank you, Bruce. And if you, I don't know if you'll actually believe this, but I think this is the first time you and I have ever done the show together. So I'm kind of a little bit nervous because I don't really know what to expect. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't be nervous. You are so good at this, and and um, you know, I know, I know, you know, I I don't know if you and Peg like to talk about the fact that your mother daughter, but as a parent, I will speak for her. We always want our kids to you know turn out better than we did, and boy, you know, I don't know if, if better is a fair word, you know, comparing to Peg. But you turned out really, really well. You're smart, cookie, and you've done a great job in this industry. And again, wealth enhancement's glad to have you. And I'm I'm glad you're you're with me today because you're good at this media stuff. So the the topic today, and Nicole, I'll kind of let you lead us, and I'll chime in here and there. And and I know I'll let you lead us because I know you're really good at doing this. Um, but the, we're t- we're going to talk about financial literacy, and we're even going to tell listeners what we mean by that. Um, I think so much of the country, and we probably don't talk about this enough on this show or or in uh, other places, but the lack of education that people have about personal finance, they really don't get it in schools. They don't get it in colleges unless they go looking for it. We are involved with an organization called Best Prep that tries to bring financial education to the schools. But, you know, it's probably more complex to handle personal finances today than it's ever been due to a a variety of different circumstances, including technology, which in some ways makes it easier, but in other ways makes it more complicated. And and so a lot of people just don't do many of the simple things financially that they should do for their own best interest, and it ends up getting them in trouble. We'll talk today about what some of those things are 
and trying to quantify what the cost is of, of making those mistakes or having those shortcomings in your financial planning. And then really quickly before we jump into it, I'll just remind everybody, if they're not aware, uh, tax day is just around the quarter. Tuesday, you got to file your taxes or file your extension by Tuesday. And if you file an extension, you still have to pay your estimated taxes. You can't just say, I'm not going to pay. I'm going to wait and do it in the fall. You still got to pay now. Uh, I wrote my checks this week, uh, but I still filed an extension because I'm, I'm still waiting on a lot of K-1s and other things. But Nicole, financial literacy, what, what do you think it means or how would you explain that to a client or, or a room of people if you're lecturing on financial literacy? Yeah, thank you, Bruce. And um, it's really interesting. I think the generation before millennials, which is the generation that I squarely fit into, um, it's kind of where this, this big transitional change happened. And Perhaps the listeners can kind of think back to their own experience as parents or watching, um, you know, the shift there. But when I speak to my own mother about this, you know, my generation was really the first where once you became an adult, everyone had access to credit. And for my own mother, raising a, a child in the late 70s and the, the early 80s, you know, her and my father didn't have that known access to credit. And because of that, it forced them to have more financial conversations because going backwards wasn't an option. Not having an emergency fund wasn't an option. Um, and now we just, we don't see that. And so when it comes to financial literacy and this gap in knowledge, you know, to dive deeper into the, the actual textbook definition, it's beyond just possessing the financial knowledge. It's also having the behaviors, the systems, the team members, and the plan to, t to confidently take on, you know, an effective action plan for good results when it comes to um, how one manages their own fi finances on a day-to-day -day basis. And when we expand even further, I think it's really about de diving deeper into what are those behaviors, what is the value system around money, and who is it in your team or who are these resources where you feel confident enough or comfortable enough to have conversations, you know, where you're seeking to learn what is the best set of actions that I can take for myself. And I think, you know, beyond that, the ripple effect of not setting yourself up for financial literacy or this, uh, this depth of knowledge or access to resources is that there is endless statistics that the mental load of not knowing how to best handle your finances is one of the most draining human experiences possible. So to the extent that it might appear that some people are confident, what we actually see when we dig deeper into the, the underlying statistical data, the survey data, is that more often than not, people are carrying the stress or the mental load of not knowing how to make the best decisions or perhaps having made the wrong ones and then feeling so behind that they're not really sure how to move forward. And Bruce, maybe, I don't know, do you think it'd be helpful if we shared some of these statistics we pulled in advance to prepare for today? Yeah, I, I think it would, but before you do that, I just I wanted to jump in and, and, and I love where you've taken the discussion already. But I, you know, you mentioned you know talking about about things. I think one of the reasons um, that people are not as financially literate as they should be is because for some reason talking about money 
have became this taboo subject. You know, I, I remember sitting around with neighbors, you know, at a fire pit or in the morning having a cup of coffee in the cul-de-sac or whatever, and the, and the range of topics of things that we would talk about were sometimes maybe borderline not appropriate, but we talked about them anyway. But the one thing no, we never talked about is money. What are you doing? What are you investing in? How much do you, you know, no one talks about what they make or that, and, and we don't, and not just with friends or neighbors or relatives, we don't communicate oftentimes within our own family. You mentioned your family had conversations. I think the exception, not the rule. I think most people out there don't. So communication and talking about money, with you know, is is one of the keys to getting where you want to be. But yeah, let's 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 jump to some of these stats because when I saw this, Nicole, frankly, it was mind-boggling to me. Yeah, and to your point, Bruce, you know, I do agree with you that even myself and and my friends all know that I've been in in this specific industry and doing the work that I do. Um, no one has ever come to me for a, and I shouldn't say no one, but it's rare, even you put yourself out there as a professional in this industry, that people come to you seeking advice for not only their own situation, but even a referral for such. And so, again, it is almost this taboo topic where people want to present themselves as having a handle on this. And I I do look to the media and some of the marketing because, wow, what a shift over the last 20 years as more of these brokerage platforms have become available for low-cost trading, that sort of thing, where it almost became so normalized in the household that the expectation is you should know how to do everything about your financial picture on your own. And that is a huge undertaking for someone who is in this industry or living inside of it, because man, it changes every single day. And with my own clients, when they're embarrassed to ask something like, oh, and they lead with, I feel like I should know this, but I just want to ask you, you know, I always remind them that I could certainly go to YouTube and watch a video for how to fix my HVAC system or my AC or my furnace. But just because I watched the video on how to do it doesn't mean I would actually know what I was doing. And so this, <laughs> expectation that people should be able to read something and then take action with something as important as their financial health. It's just, it's bad messaging. And so I hope if anyone can take anything away from today's conversation about financial literacy, it's that you don't have to know it all. And there are a lot of resources out there. So to your point about the statistics, Bruce, I mean, it's the number one in 2022, 90%, 90% of Americans uh, surveyed said that money causes them stress on a daily basis. And 80% of U.S. employers say that money stress is lowering the productivity of their employees to the extent of costing the economy almost half a trillion dollars a year. And the number one topic couples and therapists respond as being issues for marital stress and divorce is money. And so there is a massive price tag you know, to just these kind of small consequences of not being financially literate, which, you know, one of the things you kicked off with, Bruce, was, and we're not even teaching it in school. So where do people go? And I think today we really want to focus on, well, here are the ways we structure financial literacy and some takeaway, you know, talking points um, for each of them. You know, one of the things, Nicole, that I'm guilty of personally 
because I'm in this industry, there are a lot of things that I just know because I'm in this industry. And But people that aren't in this industry don't necessarily know these things. And sometimes when I encounter somebody's lack of knowledge, I'm kind of taken aback and I'm like, how do you not know this? But in fairness, why would they know it? No one ever taught them. Their parents right. never talked to them about it. And and, and I, I, I like to use my wife as an example here, and she doesn't mind. My wife's a singer-songwriter, and she's made a re- really good career at it. Um, it. By most measuring sticks, has been very well compensated. But when we met, she had literally no retirement savings because most of her money went back into clothes and jewelry and boots and things for performing and being on stage. And I'm like, Pamela, how did you think you were ever going to retire? You don't say, you don't save any money. You can't sing forever. And Pamela's a smart person, but she's like, I never thought about it. I didn't know. No one, no one taught me. So a smart person like that, and I know other smart people that would fit into that category, just don't know sometimes basic things. And those stats that you just gave, again, to me, that's, I, I know it's true, but on some level, I just can't wrap my head around it. And then do you want to talk a little bit about quantifying the actual cost of not having financial literacy? <laughs> I mean, here's one reason, to your point, um, and your wife is a smart cookie. And I work in this industry, and there's still things that make me go, every day is a school day because I just learned something new that I can taught me even completely off guard. And here's one example, Bruce, because I, as, as we prepared for today, you know, something that was known knowledge to me. Okay, the average cost of a new car in August of 2022 in the United States was roughly $48,500. Well, that part, I was like, okay, I mean, that's very normal. Well, not only was that up 11% year over year, which, yes, inflation is bad, but what it goes on to teach you in this is that the actual annual cost of owning a car averages for the American person $10,728 per year in fuel, maintenance, and insurance costs. And that blew me away. When I think about the take-home pay of the average person, and then you think about the fact that once you even own your car, if you own it outright, because that was not including the payments on the car, having that car will cost you in terms of wear and tear, fuel and insurance, almost a thousand dollars a month. And I just don't know that we're really talking about that as being the actual expense. Because I think all too often what we do when we run our expense numbers is go, well, how much am I spending on average in fuel per month? We're not really amortizing. I can't get my words out on a Sunday morning. We're not really looking at the cost of the insurances and the maintenances that occur over the course of each year. And then these are some other ones. I mean, the average credit card right now is charging 24% interest. And that is costing the American people $120 billion a year. Luxury spending in the United States is the highest of in any country. And luxury spending is clocking it at around $65 billion per year. And then this one, I mean, this one just is staggering because this is just all the places where the banks are making money. So on top of those credit card fees, overdraft fees are costing the American people 
$17 billion a year. So, I mean, you just go down the line and and you start to go, wow, so how can we help people, you know, prepare themselves to not be part of the populace paying into those those exorbitant costs annually? Okay, I like what you did there. So we've we've kind of painted the picture and, and problem. Um, and again, we talk about it a lot on the show. Don't spend money you don't have. Well, people maybe intellectually know that, but they do it anyway. So they have credit card balances, even though we tell them not to have credit card balances. Then if they have it, we tell them pay it off as soon as you can and how to go about doing that. Overdrafts, which you mentioned, again, don't, don't spend more money than you have. Seems simple, but obviously it's not for all people. But then even if you are going to spend more, you can put a little thing, um, overdraft protection or like a line of credit on your account. So if you do go overdraft, you don't get whacked with a big bill for doing it. So, again, these things seem simple, but obviously not all Americans are doing it. So we've kind of quantified the issues and the cost. Now let's help people and give them some advice on how they, <laughs> yeah. how they avoid this, other than me saying, don't spend money you don't have. They don't want to hear that. Let's give them something more tangible. Well, and I think, too, one of the places that I find myself being empathetic is when I look at myself. So preparing for today, you know, I thought about, do I really, have I really sat down with my bank and walked through what checking accounts and save the accounts I have, and if there's a more optimal one? And the answer is no. And the reason why it's no is a couple things. One, of all the things on my to-do list, that one sounds awful. And second, every time a banker at the bank says to me, oh, I want to talk to you about this, I assume they're trying to tell me something. So I put my defenses up, and I just say, no, 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 I'm not interested, I got to go. And so, you know, I hope if, if I hope everyone who's listening today takes kind of that pause moment, has a little bit of empathy for themselves if any of this strikes you, and then says, you know, maybe that is a a higher priority item. Because, um, you know, to to your earlier point, Bruce, about paying the state of Minnesota, those taxes, even if you're extending, just so everyone knows, the state of Minnesota assesses a 4% penalty on those late payments. So even if you're thinking my money market is paying 4% right now because, wow, that's fantastic. Well, Minnesota will charge you. So don't forget to get that done by Tuesday. So there's a little financial literacy tip there. But the number one you know, step in financial literacy is really understanding your earnings. And this is more difficult than it seems. And this is the first step in being financially successful. And so, you know, assessing what type of employee you are um, and understanding, am I getting a W-2? What is the percentage of withholding federal and state? Am I a 1099 employee? How does that mean that my tax situation is different than somebody who's a W-2 employee? Um, And then really dialing in even deeper there. Okay, what kind of health care plan do I have? Is it traditional or is it high deductible? Do I have access to a health savings account? Well, that probably means you're in a high deductible plan. Then the best course of action is to understand, well, what is my annual out-of-pocket maximum? And then what is the stop loss for something catastrophic? And then you can start to think about the urgency or the necessity of how much of your paycheck you put into that health savings account to be there for you for your medical expenses ongoing. 
Then there's additional items that you can think through. Yeah, Bruce? No, no, no. I, I saw your pausing. Keep going. Oh, no. Then the only other thing I was going to say kind of and the next deduction being the flexible savings account, which people can utilize for things like child care. And so you go down this delineation of what do I need for my day-to-day -day life and what does that create as my net paycheck? And then there's the next part of it, which is, okay, well, if that's what my net pay is, but I also want to be saving for the future, well, then I start to assess what are the, the benefits or the access to retirement savings plans. And one of the things that we preach consistently is, even if you can't go up to the maximum, something is better than nothing. And often employers are actually matching your contributions to a certain extent. And so to really receive 100% of your compensation from your employer, you need to be putting something into that retirement plan because all, more often than not, if you're not putting in, your employer is not matching. And so to that extent, you're missing out on part of that total compensation package. Bruce, I'm going to volley it back to you. Yeah, we're, we're actually due for a break. Susie, when we come back, we'll finish the rest of the things. We have elements of financial literacy, and we will have time to get listeners involved. All right, very good. 651-461-9226. It's your money. Back after this. Welcome back. It is your money and reminding you, as always, if you are listening and you want to write this number down and call back at a different time, there are people to answer your call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that number is one eight 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 six advice You can also always email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But for the next 25 minutes, if you have a question and you want to jump in, the number here in the studio is 651-461-9226. Now here once again is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Bruce Helmer, and a very special guest, Nicole Webb. Nicole, just want to mention a number of texters are saying that you sound just like your mom. <laughs> so I hear from my own father every time I answer my phone. So <laughs> Okay. Anyway, I know you want to wrap up some things, but there are questions as well um, online for you when you're ready. So go ahead and get to where you want to get to and let me know when you want some text questions. Thank you, Susie. And we do want to try to get some questions in. So, Nicole, yes, Nicole Webb is with us. And, Nicole, I'm not going to read your bio again. I'm just going to say you're a smart cookie. Your mom's proud of you. I'm proud of you. And you're doing a great <laughs> job. Thanks for being with us today. If you joined us late, Nicole and I have been talking about financial literacy. And what we mean by that is not only the knowledge, but the behaviors and the actions to get yourself financially where you want to be, retire when you want to with the lifestyle that you want to and not run out of money and maybe leave a legacy for loved ones. And sadly, all too many Americans don't know a lot of the basics. They don't know how to create a budget. They have a balance on their credit card. They're paying unnecessary bank fees. They're paying maybe too much for insurance. Um, just a lot of things that people are not doing well or correct or not doing at all and a lot of these things are easily correctable. We talked about how the financial impact, we threw some staggering numbers at you. We talked about the emotional impact that 90% of Americans say money causes them stress. So then after going through all that and depressing everybody, Nicole, we just got started <laughs> on giving some advice or guidance 
some elements, if you will, on how to correct or solve some of these problems. And we talked about how much you earn. And while that may seem simple, you, you know it, you know what you make per hour or per year or however you're paid. What's your net that you really bring home after paying taxes, after paying FICA, after contributing to your uh, retirement plan, which you should do to get the matching contribution or you're leaving money on the table? So we talked about, you know, earnings. I don't know if we finished it up or if there's any other thoughts, but then there's a couple of other things in terms of key elements of financial literacy that we want to go through. And then uh, maybe at the end, we'll definitely save some time for questions. So did you, did you say everything you think we needed to talk about with regard to earnings, Nicole? Yeah, absolutely, Bruce. Thank you. And I, you know, one deeply deep passion point for me, you know, hearing your summary of, of what we've talked about thus far is that, you know, where should we spend our energy? And it, and it just, it's so straightforward. It's the education around financial literacy. And if you have some of it, then, you know, bring it forward through your family to the younger generations, because, you know, I had the great opportunity to have an opinion piece I wrote um, published by CNBC um, and it's really about the staggering cost of college and the way in which we tee up youth. You know, we're asking 17-year-olds to make such a massive investment in the cost of education with really no clarity of what comes four years later. And so who, you know, do I believe we need to really focus on this education with? And it's bringing it forward to the youth. And Bruce, to your point, you know, I know you and I and our firm, Wealth Enhancement Group, are very active in Best Prep, which is working with high school students to really gain some of this fundamental financial literacy knowledge um, because we're perpetuating this problem by not starting there and by having such young people take on such huge numbers without a real understanding of. I mean, I think back to myself, and again, I grew up in this industry, but at 17, the math seemed simple in my head. At the time, college cost 18000 and I dreamed of getting a job that cost, you know, or that would pay, you know, four years later, maybe $48,000 a year. And so in my simple young brain, I thought, wow, I mean, 48000 a year is big bucks. And if only 18000 of that is the cost of college, what I missed out on was, to your point, Bruce, well, there's all these other things when you're standing on your own two feet, like paying a lot of taxes paying for health insurance costs. And then you also have to save because you don't want to be living paycheck to paycheck. So to, to your question then, you know, what are these other areas of um, financial literacy beyond just earnings? And it's saving and investing. And so going back to the earnings statement, it's is there room after you understand all of these deduction items to save and invest? And what we are big proponents of is make sure that you're at least getting that match. And then make sure that you have the appropriate amount in your savings account for any of those emergency needs. You know, then when we start thinking about people who are, you know, starting a family or have some of these liabilities, we really then also need to think about the protection costs of making sure that your home is in good order in the event that something might happen to you. And so I used some of these words earlier, like stop loss and max out of pocket. And I do think many people just have health insurance, but don't necessarily really understand if something were to happen, if you were to have a health emergency, what is the real cost to you? Um, 
and starting to kind of think about, well, what would my plan be for myself or for my family in that situation? And then life insurance, you know, whether you are a single person or, you know, in a couple or with children, you know, you need to be thinking about protection and the cost of those protection differently. And the other one I don't know that we spend a lot of time educating ourselves around is short-term disability and long-term disability. And if there's gaps in those coverages versus, you know, what I'm receiving, I see it as an option when I do my open enrollment at work for my benefits, but do I have a gap there? Have I explored it? And do I need to be thinking about insuring myself for that gap? And again, you know, if you have people in your lives that are in those kind of the crux of complexity years, and I would put myself in that young child, you know, two working people in the household, there's so much tackle. Are you slowing down and making it a priority to understand each of these areas of protection? What and how do you budget for them? And then how is that protecting you from having to have other pots of money saved for those events? Bruce? Yeah, so you you just did a lot of really smart stuff there in a very short amount of time. I just want to add a little bit of clarity to some of it. So, again, we're talking about the five elements of financial literacy. We talked about earning, understanding your earnings. And, again, we can oversimplify this and say, well, if you want to be financially successful, earn more and spend less. Ah, That's not telling anybody anything. So, But we talked about earnings and understanding what you really bring home. Then you mentioned saving and investing. How much do you actually have to save and invest and still live? I never want someone to have to live on ramen noodles and never take a vacation because they're putting everything in the savings and investments. You can live for today and still save and invest for your future, but quantifying how much, where do you put it, regular IRA, Roth IRA, what do you invest in in your IRA, that's that's complicated stuff that most people, even though they know they should do it, have a hard time figuring out the right way to do it on their own. And then you went into protection. And this, uh, and Nicole, I always talk about this is, you know, digging the moat around your castle or deeping, deepening the moat you already have or throwing some uh, prana and alligators in there to protect yourself. And you talked about health insurance and life insurance and all these things that we can do to protect our family. It doesn't matter how much money we make or how much money we have. If we're only an accident or a death or a job loss or an illness away from losing a lot of that, that net worth or that wealth, it, 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 it kind of doesn't matter. We have to. We also have to protect it. So I like where you went there. And then again, um, how do people figure all of this out on their own? We talk about financial literacy and knowing things, and we talked about the ability to go to the internet or whatever and look things up. But how do you know the information that you're getting is accurate? I mean, different different people that give financial information might have a vested interest in, in their opinion. And I guess maybe we'll come back to that later when we talk about the value of an advisor. So, so far on our list of five, I've got earnings, saving and investing, and protection. What's number four? Uh-huh. And number four is one that I think you just hit on, Bruce, which is, you know, thinking about how you spend money and making sure you're taking those pause moments to think through Am I acting reflexively? Am I acting with emotion? Am I letting my wants, you know, get ahead of my plan or my value system? And I think that can be, um, you know, something we all deal with on a day-to-day, if not hour-hour basis. 
you know, <laughs> my Peg, my mother, you know, she always makes this joke that she constantly loves decorating her house. And every time she sees a new end table that she thinks is better than the end table she already has, she thinks, well, is it really worth working another day before I can retire? <laughs> and then I thought, I was thinking that's a little bit intense for just an end table, you know? But to be honest, I, I make that joke in my head constantly. You know, I prefer shoes over end tables. I'm not really someone who loves end tables. But, you know, when I look at a new pair of shoes, I'm like, well, I mean, yes, they're slightly different than a pair I already have. But at the same time, do I really want, you know, this pair of shoes more than I want those dollars, you know, in my vacation bucket? And I think this is even more challenging for everyone in the year 2023, post-COVID, when so many luxuries were taken away you know, for, for a couple of years that people are feeling like, wow, I, I have to live before, you know, they get taken away again, or you're just kind of living in that recency event. But you just got to make sure that you don't stay living in this moment, you know, making long-term decisions off of, you know, short-term events, um, you know, because that's, that can be pretty wealth-destructive over time. So, yes, celebrate, you know, the, the, the other side of COVID, but then make sure you're going back to, Am I living in alignment with my long-term values, um, or am I acting a little bit emotionally or reflexively given my my you know recent experiences? Um, and then Bruce, the fifth one, which is all about borrowing money. And I actually just learned recently that this is um, this is the rage on TikTok that really young people, TikTok users, are really interested in financial literacy, which is fantastic. And that they've kind of gone back to, in light of, you know, recent interest rate hikes, that they've gone back to this mentality of um, cash at bank is really valuable and it's paying something. And so spending is more expensive than it used to be. And borrowing is more expensive than it used to be. Um, but there are, you know, smart times um, to use leverage or to use debt and modest amounts of debt can actually help you be effective over time. And I think one of the things that a lot of people are grappling with, and I, we see it in the headline news every day, is people who want to be homeowners are concerned about how expensive mortgages have gotten today and, and how to navigate that. And so again, I really don't like to make broad statements about borrowing um, because I think it can be so specific and it has to be fairly prescriptive to each individual's you know, circumstances and their goals and what their income looks like. Um, but just remember that, you know, debt can be beneficial to your overall financial health as long as it's good debt, not bad debt. That was very well done. I, I don't have anything to add to that. So, again, just the five things are with regard to elements of, of understanding your financial literacy, your understanding your earnings, saving and investing wisely, uh, protecting your assets, control your spending, uh, and, and you probably will need to borrow at some point in your life, and it's okay to have some debt. You probably can't pay cash for a house. And debt, uh, the, only, the, the, the bad debt is debt against depreciating assets or high interest, non-deductible debt for something that you want and you really don't need. So again, borrowing and spending kind of go hand in hand. And, you know, the listener, Nicole, might be saying, well, yeah, that's kind of a, a roadmap, but again, it's from 10,000 feet. It's not very specific, but it gets specific, and here's where I'm going to segue into a financial advisor. I've had clients call me before 
and say, hey, I want this new car, and the payment's going to be X, and it's you know several hundred dollars more than my current car. Can I afford it? And I will you know crunch some numbers and say, well, yeah, you can afford it, but is that really your priority? Do you really want to put that money into a better car? Or would you rather put that money to your kid's college fund? Or would you rather, you know, so I'm there as a sounding board for people to, you know, a little bit protect them from themselves and remind them of their goals and objectives and core values. So the, the importance of a financial advisor, why don't you tie a bow on this, uh, this uh, discussion for us, and then we'll get listeners involved. Yeah, you know the the one thing I I'll summarize is you know the the core competency of a financial advisor going back to the the very beginning where we said financial literacy means you have a team of people available to you, and what I love about Wealth Enhancement Group and I I mean that I mean Wealth Enhancement Group stock is not for sale but it's like I want to sell it to everybody because I'm so proud of the way we collaborate to prescribe to our clients what is in alignment with what they want and what they wish for. And, and it comes from a place of, to your point, proof. yes, you can, but it's not really what you want. And the way we go about doing that is by unifying the advice that we give to clients with them at the core. And that's why I like to use this word prescriptive. It's prescriptive advice to, we have our arms around your situation and we fully understand not just what the dollars are on paper, or what your intra-year tax strategy should look like. But it's more about, again, are you living in alignment with your values? And sometimes the answer is yes, you have money to do that, but I don't think, I think 30 days from now, you'll have buyer's remorse. And so kind of summarizing today, again, I would just say financial literacy is about, you know, not only knowing these five core elements, but I think also what we wanted to do was bring it top of mind so that people can bring these, these conversations forward and, and just help it make a, help it make it be a little less taboo. And if you don't have that team, or if you know anyone in your family doesn't have that team, you know, tell them that it's okay that they don't have to go at it alone. And that actually financial health is one of those things that perhaps delegation or bringing in additional team members is incredibly powerful because as we go back to that statistic, it is the number one thing. Money is the number one thing that tears couples apart. In a world that is moving so fast and there's so much complexity, perhaps if you can bring in that neutral third party, it will take a lot of that day-to-day stress off of the couple. And so I think there's just a lot of power in knowledge and a power in, in building out that team to create that clarity and energy around, you know, how you're living in alignment. Susie, we went a little longer than I thought, but I think it was all good stuff. Nicole, that's a great job, and that's a great closure to the topic. Uh, let's sneak in a question or two while we have time. All right, very good. Good show. This texter writes in, great addition today with Nicole. How do you handle non-deductible IRA contributions when you take required RMDs? Thanks. Nicole, the person apparently has to take RMDs, but they still want to contribute to a non-deductible IRA. Yeah, I'm wondering if they want to be contributing or if they want to, if they're wondering how those non-deductible contributions are, are figured into their RMD equation. Um, and so, you know, the, the total dollars of IRA dollars are going to be part of your RMD situation. If you're thinking about, you know, do I have access to doing, um, 
you know, non-deductible contributions, perhaps you're thinking about those backdoor Roth conversions. Um, you know, again, this is going to be something where, you know, I would actually want to know so much more about your situation to see if that's both advisable and, and doable. But if it was about your RMD for this year, I would say that, you know, your total IRA dollars are going to be part of that. All right. This yeah, tech- the, the oh. RMD is, based, is, a, is a calculation based on your total amount of money in qualified IRAs. I, I agree with you, though. I, I think the question, I, I, as I heard it, is twofold. If I'm if I'm contributing, and that's a con- point of confusion for some people, I'm, I'm, I've reached the age where I have to take withdrawals, but maybe I'm still working. If you're still working, you can still make contributions even as you're taking withdrawals, but you still have to take those withdrawals. But you're right. The key point there was non-deductible, which makes me think they make too much money to put it in a Roth, and they're thinking about a backdoor Roth where ultimately they're going to convert that IRA to a Roth IRA. Right. Susie, let's sneak in one more. The problem, yeah. All right. Oh, sorry. That's okay. I just want to say uh, this person writes, I have a lot of credit card debt and I owe relatives money. This is, you know, a person too in the world. Uh, is there any order in which my debt should be paid? Either Nicole, one of you. High interest rate <laughs> first. I mean, I was just going to say high interest first. I mean, it's complicated when you get family involved. Um, you know, I I feel for this person. I would actually say if that's how you're living, you know, I would really encourage that you reach out to, to a resource for debt consolidation and creating payment plans um, And because there are, there is aid available to you. Um, and so based on the statement, just do a Google search. It's generally, you know, relatively like free and accessible and and these people can help you navigate that situation. Does the cost of owning a car calculation include depreciation? This texter writes. It did not highlight that in the statistic that we used, um, but that's another great point in that it is a depreciating asset. But in that $10,000 a year expense, um, depreciation was not figured into that. All right. And then... What is a medallion stamp, and why is it hard to find someone to do one? I don't even know. I've never heard of that. (laughs) Yeah, Nicole, why is that so hard? (laughs) Because people don't go to work anymore in the office? No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) We have about 30 30 seconds left, and then we want to remind people where to find you. That's all right. That was an interesting question, but go ahead. I'm I'm going to kind of pass the medallion stamp kind of like a notary stamp it's you know just uh someone vouching for you in that way all right bruce thank you so much for your time also nicole thank you and we want to remind people if you did not get your question answered it's one eight 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 six advice or always at your money at wealth enhancement.com